Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This morning I want to talk to you about the justice of Jesus from these verses that we've had read out to us. But first I want to tell you about my own experience of justice when I was just a little boy. We were going uh, as a family to Sri Lanka, which is like our, our big family holiday that I remember. And my brother was there on the plane with me and he decided it was, uh, he was able to tickle me. He's nine years older than me, so much bigger and stronger. I was only three or four years old at the time. And so my dad then decided that he would help me to even the score by holding my brother so that I could tickle him back. But I saw this was my moment, and so I came up and gave him a good one right in the guts, as you do when, as a younger brother. Now, that's hopefully not a reflection of me now, but it was funny at the time, and still is at the moment. I should remind him about that. Notice, though, I was not strong enough to restrain my brother. My dad had to do it. And notice, I was not gentle enough to give a proportional response. Took it into my own hands to make sure justice was duly served. And this morning we come to the true justice of Jesus. And I want to tell you three things. Firstly, to find true justice, we must discover Jesus' gentleness. Secondly, we must see his strength. And thirdly, we must see how the gentle and strong justice of Jesus may actually change our lives. So verse 20, we see this example of uh, what it means that Jesus would bring justice. It says, a bruised reed he will not break, and a smouldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory. This speaks of Jesus who is utterly gentle and restrained until the exact right moment when he will come in full justice. And this is very unlike our world. In our world, we don't get justice right. We're either too lenient or we overreach and we tend to go to revenge. A good example of this justice overreach when we go too far with justice was in the 17th century in England. They had a thing called the Bloody Code. And it was where up to 220 offences were punishable by death. They started out with 50 and they kept increasing it until almost anything that we would consider a low-level offence today would be considered worthy of the death penalty. Even this, grand larceny was one of the crimes that drew the death penalty. It was defined as the theft of goods worth more than 12 pence, about one-twentieth of the weekly wage of a skilled worker at the time. We human beings have a way of reaching too far with justice, taking things much further than they should go. We also have a tendency to, when we are oppressed by injustice, to ourselves become the oppressors. Research tells us that bullies themselves were often the victims of bullying. It also tells us, research also tells us that those who are bullies were often abused through domestic violence. You see, when they were weak, they were oppressed, and now they oppress the weak themselves. And so it becomes this cycle of injustice 
And we see it in throughout the world uh, with uh, you know, re- revenge going back and forth from nation against nation, from tribal group against tribal group. Some of us have experienced uh, the depravity of this and we know that it is true injustice and yet we struggle to find a way out. But Jesus is not like this. Jesus is not like this at all. In fact, with the justice of Jesus, he comes with humility and care. We see this in verse 15. Jesus goes around healing people, but then in verse 16, he tells people not to make him known. One of the ways that Jesus expresses his justice is by bringing his, the reign of his kingdom to bear upon individual people. So he often heals them. We read about it consistently in the Bible. He heals people of their infirmities. When people touch Jesus, they're healed of things that have oppressed them for decades. This is one of the ways he expresses him bringing justice. But unlike today, when people, you know, didn't happen unless it's on Instagram, Jesus tells them not to tell anyone so that his justice may be with true Humility. One of the great examples of this, of course, is when Jesus rides into Jerusalem, what they call the triumphal entry. Now, you would expect with a word, the triumphal entry, that Jesus would come into Jerusalem. He's, of course, the king coming into his own city, that he would be on a white horse with an army behind him, surrounded by his best generals. And yet, he's not on a white horse, he's on the foal of a donkey. And he's not surrounded by his best generals. He's surrounded by 12 you know, rough-looking blokes, half of them are fishermen. And yet people recognise him for who he is. Hosanna is the king. And then when the Pharisees get angry at the people for saying, Hosanna, praise be to the king, Jesus says even the stones would cry out because here comes the gentle justice of the king who doesn't want to be known And famous, but wants his deeds to speak for themselves. This tells us something for ourselves, is that if you make others know about your acts of justice in the world by the things that you do, the righteous deeds that you do, the the good deeds that you've done, if you tell other people about it, then you've already got your reward. The example that Jesus sets is for us. Justice should be for the one who is just. It should be for an audience of one. If you're doing things to be seen by others, then you've got your reward by being seen by them. Interestingly, Jesus' gentle justice is not just for the Jews, but also for the Gentiles. We see that in the second half of verse 18. It says, he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. Now, this is a big deal because this is a monotheistic culture that is they believe in one God and they believe that he is God of the Jews only and yet Jesus is saying no this is a word that is going out to all the nations of the world what does this tell us this tells us that Jesus is for the non-religious and the non-Christian world this is kind of helpful because people here today if you here today, and you're not from a Christian background, this tells you that Jesus is for you. 
that this isn't just a religious book for Christian people, the Bible, that this account of Jesus' life is not just for religious or Christian people, but it is for the non-Christian world. And it has been since Jesus spoke these words. This is good news for us. And it's also good news for a troubled world. Many people are troubled by the political events of the world, or just the events of the world this year, and it has been a very strange year. And yet often we fall into what I call tribalism, which is where you sit on one side, either the left or the right, and you assume that people on the other side, the world will be better without them. And it seems to me that these groups, these tribal groups on the left and the right, have actually increased in their voice and their stature this year in particular. But the problem is it doesn't work. The more we think we're in the right, the more we demonise someone else and we say they're in the wrong. It doesn't bring the justice that we so sorely desire and realise the world should have. But Jesus on the other hand, brings hope to a world crying out for justice. He promises to bring an objective reign and rule over all people, a benchmark and an ethic of love that crushes our brutality. It's interesting, right? Because when you buy into Jesus, you don't buy into a political left or right. You buy into someone who loves the outsider, who prefers the preferences of other people, or even unto death. When you buy in fully to Jesus, you realise that love is your highest ethical uh, demeanour. That he, his rule and reign over your life means that those issues of hate seem to fall away. I think this is beautifully explained uh, in one of the Psalms, in fact, in Psalm 34. And verse 18, just as Jesus is gentle, you know, he will not crush a bruised reed or he will not put out a smouldering wick. We read this in Psalm 34, 18. It says, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Now, this is helpful because for those of us who have experienced injustice, now I might be talking a bit abstract so far in terms of big things in the world, but for you personally, you may have experienced injustice in your life in its various forms, some very severe. This tells us that Jesus is also for you. He's near to the brokenhearted. He saves the crushed in spirit. He's available, fully available for you to heal your broken heart, to make your heart find its home and where it needs to be. So seeing that Jesus' gentle justice is the opposite to the world, and he expresses it through humility and care, and we might think, well, is Jesus strong enough? Is Jesus' gentleness good enough to deal with this broken world? And we realise that the gospel tells us his gentle justice doesn't hinder his victory, it actually allows it. You see, Jesus fully expressed gentle justice on a cross where he died for the sake of sinners, for those who would reject him. 
His own people, you know, I spoke earlier about how he rode into Jerusalem on the foal of a donkey and people were praising him as he came in. And then that same crowd of people, having been convinced by the religious elites, cried out, crucify him, crucify him. The crowds will always change their minds, right? And we see that today. And yet Jesus, still knowing how fickle we are when it comes to justice, how fickle humanity is when it comes to justice, was willing to die for us to fix the biggest problem, which is if we reject the God of justice, then he will reject us. And so Jesus comes to bridge that gap by overcoming that sin, by dying for the least of these, even you and I. This tells us something also really important. So people often ask, well, if God is so powerful, then why doesn't he just end it all now, sort everything out? You know, why doesn't he just bring his full reign of justice today, right at this moment? And you know what? He very much could. So beware if you say that and don't mean it. But we also see something very important in the text here And we see it in verse 20. It says, He will be gentle. You know, a bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not quench. He will be gentle until he brings justice to victory. As in, our lives are given to us. He is restraining evil. He is giving us time so that we may turn to him. The purpose of our lives is not that we might just eat, drink, and be merry, but that we would know our creator, the living God, who isn't just up there and far away, but near and close, stepped into humanity, expressed his loves with arms on a cross and said, here I am for you. This is the God who offers himself for us until he brings justice to victory, until his appointed time comes, and it will come. And so the encouragement for us is that, yes, he will bring justice to victory. Yes, he is gentle until his judgment comes and his gentleness is expressed in our breath, in our lungs today, so that we may turn to him. It's also, this gentle justice of Jesus also speaks to how we're living our lives right now. The Pharisees were kind of the bad guys in this, in this text. Jesus calls them out. We see this in verse 34. He says, you brood of vipers, you snakes. How can you speak good when you are evil? They claim, these religious elites claim justice and righteousness, but they're taking advantage of other people. They're giving them crushing burdens of rules to obey that even they can't obey. You shouldn't think that buying into Christianity is buying into a book of rules because even the best of the best couldn't obey it. There was only one who could obey it, and that's Jesus. And what did he do? He came and used, expressed his justice with gentleness and said, come to me, find rest in me, find your hopes of a just world in me. Find your hope of everything being restored. Everything that has been broken is being fixed in him. 
And so the question then for us is, does our life look like it needs justice? Have we experienced the injustice of this world? Do we take it out on others because we've been unjustly treated? Are our lives marked by a gentle spirit that trusts that he will bring justice to victory so I don't need to take it into my own hands? That is the God that is proclaimed to us and that is the God whom we are called to turn to today. So his justice is gentle. Firstly. Secondly, his justice is strong. You see, Jesus' strength is unlike the world because the world is full of hypocrisy when it comes to justice. We see this uh, counterplay between Jesus and the Pharisees going back and forth here. You see, the Pharisees had this strength to themselves that they were self-righteous that if they obeyed all the religious rules, then they would be right with God. But that, of course, Jesus called them out on it, equated to hypocrisy. You see, they wanted justice, but not at the cost of their pride. They forgot that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. They were doing good things and expressing justice just to be seen by people, by others. They pray eloquent prayers at their religious meetings, so that others would hear them and think, oh, how good are they? They'd stand up the front of the church service and say, I'm so glad I'm not like those other people. I'm so glad I've got my life together. I'm so glad I'm so religious. Meanwhile, the non-religious person down the back, who it was even a struggle for them to come to church that day, beat their chest and said, God, have mercy on me, for I am a sinner. And Jesus said, the one who was humble before God went home justified, not the proud one. So the Pharisees have got it all mixed up. Their strength in justice was just hypocrisy. Now, I want to say that we too, as a culture and a society, have a pharisaical hypocrisy to us. There's two examples I want to give for you. The first example is... Recycling. Now, we love recycling. Everyone's got a yellow bin at home. Very careful to, I don't even know if you're supposed to do it, but I'm very careful to wash out uh, the, you know, the gunk from the things that I'm supposed to put in the recycling. I'm careful to read on the back whether it has that symbol for recycling and then to put it in the right you know, bin under the sink and then after I take it out of the sink, I put it in the right bin, then I assume it goes to some magical place where they turn it into the next bit of recycling I need to put in there. That's how it works, isn't it? Now, we're concerned about recycling. Why? Justice. Justice. We realise that we have to look after this planet. It was in, been ingrained into us for a long time now that we're, you know, by doing the wrong thing to our planet, there's a sort of injustice to future generations. There's been a lot about this in our culture. But I've got to tell you that how seriously do we take being a help to the next generation? We're so concerned about recycling. Are we concerned about giving our lives and our money to help those who are literally starving right now? That's hypocrisy. We're so concerned about ways that we can 
you know, really easy and simple ways that really don't cost us anything. And some of us take those bits of recycling down somewhere and get 10 cents each for them. We're making bank on the recycling. Whereas there really are big problems in the world and we just ignore them. But we feel good about ourselves because at least I've done my bit. At least I've put something in the, the yellow bin this week. And yet we hardly care for those who are really struggling all around the world today. A second example of hypocrisy is pornography. Did you know that pornography is one of the leading causes of sex slavery in the world? Did you know that there's more slaves today than there have ever been in history? Yes, like everyone thinks slavery is bad. And yet we want to express our personal freedom and personal freedom for sexuality more than we want to deal with those who are enslaved by those same freedoms. Interesting, isn't it? Our expression of freedom leads to someone else's slavery. That is hypocrisy. So what do you find in our culture? That we use our freedoms for selfishness. We desire justice as long as it doesn't cost us our sexual freedoms or too much money or our way of living. If I said to you I could end world poverty if everyone gave half their salary, would you do it? The answer is no, because we've been able to do that for a very long time and we haven't. So there is a problem inside of us that we're unwilling to use our strength for true justice in the world. But the Bible tells us that there is an evil force behind this injustice and it is a person. His name is Satan or Beelzebul, as we read in the text. And we see in verse 22 that Jesus is in fact stronger than Satan. We see Satan uh, binds people. He affects people physically. He affects people spiritually. He affects the injustice in the world. And yet what does Jesus do? He heals them. He frees them from their oppression. In verse 28, we hear these powerful words by Jesus. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the then this kingdom of God has come upon you. If, it truly, if Jesus is truly here in justice, dealing with the evil puppeteers that are behind the injustice of this world, then God has come. He is here and he is in the flesh and he is here to deal with the issues of this world. This tells us that though there is much evil in the world, though there is much injustice, Jesus is stronger. Verse 29. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. What is Jesus talking about? Jesus saying, Satan is strong, but I'm stronger. And I will bind Satan. I will plunder his house. Jesus is here to do away with the works of the enemy, to bring his reign and rule of justice to earth through his people. And we've experienced that, right? Most of the charities, most of the social welfare systems, even general hospitals were inventions of people with a Christian ethic because they believed that it was their responsibility to bring the rule and reign of justice 
from Jesus to this world and expressed it in their life. And so do we believe it? Do we live as though Jesus is truly stronger? And I think this is expressed through our anxiety at the state of the world at the moment. Many of us, I mean, like it's, it's, it's almost a constant conversation. What's going on with this election? What's going on with this virus? What's going to happen next? But we, sometimes we think and we speak about it as if we don't know who's really in charge here. Yes, Satan is at work in the world, obvious. But Jesus is the stronger man. And he will bring justice to victory. And Jesus will end evil once and for all. And so when you know that the end is tied up, it changes your disposition and your attitude. When you actively believe, right? Because believe is an active word. It's not just something static that you did however many years ago when you might have come to faith or made a decision or been baptised or something like that. Believing is an active thing that we do. And so as we are believing, we're trusting, yes, Jesus is the stronger man. Jesus has the world in hand. I don't need to be worried about it because, you know what, most of these things you have no power to control anyway. Even if you know all the facts, just because of your mere knowledge does not mean that you have the ability to change what's happening, does it? Does it add an extra hour to your day by how much information that you might know? In fact, no, it probably takes away several hours of your day. And so this anxiety or this concern about the state of the world actually reveals our need to trust in Jesus, the stronger man with his strong justice who will deal with these issues and who most of these issues are things that we just like to talk about a lot. Jesus' strength reveals the weakness of evil. You see in the text, verse 23, some people see that Jesus is healing demon-oppressed people. And some people say, can this be the son of David? They're amazed. Could it be him? Is this really the one we've been looking for? Is this our saviour, the king, the one who's supposed to rule and reign in justice? But the Pharisees are good at turning a crowd and they're jealous of Jesus. And so they say, no, no, he's just the devil casting out other demons. And of course, Jesus points out the fallacy of their logic. But what you find here is that something really interesting. There's a man who's deaf and blind. He can't see or hear. Fairly um, disabled to some degree not able to participate in many of the ordinary things of life. And there was not much welfare system back then, we must remember. And it says that this person was oppressed by demons. So Jesus frees this person from the demon, casts the demon out, expressing his great power. The demon leaves. This person can obviously see and hear now. That's the physical problem. Yet there's, the same, there's a spiritual problem going on. Is that these Pharisees, they see Jesus doing this, and yet they are spiritually blind and spiritually deaf. They're seeing Jesus cast out demons, yet they can't really see it. They're hearing this man speaking and hearing, and yet they can't really hear it. 
the people are proclaiming, could this be the son of David? But they can't hear it. Why is that? Why is that? Because they, rather than have them being exposed as weak, in their weakness they choose evil. They'd rather rely on themselves. They'd rather be stuck in their own self-righteousness. They'd rather keep running their own lives rather than going, I'm weak, I need this son of David, I need this Messiah, I need this one who comes with strong and gentle justice. No. They will choose evil. And so Jesus calls them out on it. You see, Jesus reveals a spiritual problem from a physical one. The Pharisees themselves were spiritually deaf and blind. They could not see who Jesus is and what he was there to do, that this is the Messiah and he is breaking the power of evil in front of them. They showed that their own hearts were bound by evil and unbelief. They were spiritually what the blind and deaf man was physically. And so the question for us here today is do we fear totally trusting Jesus will take away our power? Do we fear it? Do we fail to see Jesus' true strength over evil here? Are we wanting to cling on to running our own business? And yet we'll find ourselves choosing the wrong side. Here as well, Jesus reveals a justice that is willing to pay the cost by his strength to defeat it. You see, on the cross as well, we saw that Jesus showed his gentleness. He also showed his strength. Who was strong enough to bear the weight of the sins of the whole world? Jesus. Who was strong enough that by this cross he would disarm the evil powers of this world and take away their power of death from them? Jesus. Jesus expressed absolute strength when he allowed himself. He permitted them. The Bible says no one takes his life away from him. He gave his life. He permitted them to put him on a cross so that he might die for their sin. And that's good news for you and I because even if we've rejected Jesus, even if we've said in our whole lives to this point, that this one who I've heard has the power of evil, this one who I've heard is bringing the, the rule and reign of justice in the world, even if I've rejected him my whole life, he can still be mine. Why? Because he died for people like me. He used his strength to overcome evil. He, unlike the hypocritical Pharisees who wouldn't use their strength to do good, Jesus uses his strength to do the best thing. The best thing for us, people who are weak and need him. His strong justice shows us that we must choose a side. Verse 30, whoever is not with me is against me. Have you ever heard a clearer word from Jesus? You can't sit on the fence with Jesus. It doesn't work. You either submit to his rule and reign. You either come to him as a weak person and say, I need you. I, I need you because my life has been exposed. I want your justice. I am not gentle. I need your gentleness to heal my broken heart. I need your justice to bind up my wounds. 
we must choose a side. And if you continue in unbelief, it says here that you reject the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who brings belief into our hearts. If you continue to do this, you reject the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said here, verse 32, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven either in this age or in the age to come. The Pharisees saw and heard what Jesus was doing. They, if they'd really looked and really heard, they would have realized that their Messiah is here, but they didn't. And they called him the devil. And he said, the devil is what you want, the devil is who you have. You'll die in your sin. They chose their judgment. So firstly, we've seen that Jesus' justice is gentle. Secondly, we've seen that Jesus' justice is strong. And thirdly, we see how the gentle and strong justice can change our lives. Now, I'm just going to give you one point for this this morning for the sake of time. We, as a people, need to become acutely aware of our need for, for the grace of Jesus because we so often fall into hypocrisy. If you're willing to really look at your life, to really look at the standards that you set and how you fail to even set your own, to meet your own standards, if you are really willing to look at your lack of gentleness or your overreach in justice, your wanting revenge, then you would see that Jesus is the one that you need. You would see that you can't claim to see and hear when you don't see Jesus. And you would see that you cannot keep going down this path for you will blaspheme the Holy Spirit by rejecting his gentleness and his strength. And so if you are to become acutely aware of your need for grace because of your own hypocrisy, then you will allow the gentle justice of Jesus to kill your own self-reliance and your self-righteousness and free you from the pride of evil and bring you into a place where you can truly love other people. Only a gentle and strong saviour can do this. Only a gentle and strong saviour can do what we could never do and perfectly being the king that we so desire and so need. And so let me pray as I ask the band to come up. And we commit this into his hands. Father God, we thank you so much for what you've done, for who you've revealed your thing, yourself to be. We thank you that Jesus is this true king, this true king who expresses himself through gentleness and strength. We pray that we would bow the knee to him and find our heart's home in him. That we would not be like the Pharisees and reject him and call him evil, but we would see him and call him good and call upon him as Lord and Saviour. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.